This is a new series we're doing here called uh, My Church. And for me, it's been... Um, Dave started to put it together, and I rang him up and said, I don't think it's right what you're doing, because I suggested this series. And we talked about it over the phone. I wasn't responsible for writing the series, so I said to Lord, okay, somehow I've got to tell Dave. I came to the church, and Dave was just about to leave because he'd forgotten something at home he'd lost. So I said, can I come in the car with you and explain this change of all this? So I'd been preparing this talk now for four or five weeks, and suddenly on Wednesday evening, my wife became dramatically ill. She has COVID, extremely badly. And so I said to my wife, she said, well, you need to do tests. So I did a test on Thursday, negative. We cancelled all our three grandchildren coming to us one year, nine months and two. And I said to Louise, I've got a problem. If God has told me to speak on this subject and I get COVID, does that mean then I haven't really heard from God? So I did my COVID test. You'll be quite shocked. I'm still standing here. It's negative. And this subject this week, this is my church. Now, I'm going to do something that you shouldn't do. I want you to actually say this, okay, all together. This is my church. Because the subject is my church. And every time I say my church, I'm not talking about your church. It's going to be my church. So I'd like you to say this morning, after three, this is my church. Ready? One, two, three. This is my church. Yeah. That's, that's... Now... Think about it. A bit of enthusiasm, a bit of passion wouldn't go amiss when you say this. And a bit of olive. So I said again, after, well, hold on, sorry. If you're new to the church, you must wonder what's going on. I apologise. Don't feel you have to say this because you have no idea what we're really like. <laughs> and at the end of the service, it may give you a wrong impression. After three, one, two, three. This is my church. You're getting it. And the subject this week is the house of God. And of course, if you talk to non-Christians, they'll tell you, they say, well, a house of God is like a church, a building, or a mosque. That's where people go to find God. But we know that's not quite right. I mean, the building is nice, but God isn't in the bricks and the mortar. We are the very bricks that God uses. It says in 1 Peter this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, that's Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And it implies there that you and I, when we come together, we form a, a building. Now, we've got, a little, we've got a, a little tub at home with building blocks in and little Amelia, she's two years old, and I get it out now, so she tips the whole box out, and then carefully puts everyone back in, tips it out. She hasn't got the idea of building. But the idea when we come to church, why? Uh, to meet people, have a laugh, have a nice cup of six spoonfuls. I've learned there are heaps of spoonfuls in the coffee now to make it stronger. Have a cup of coffee, grab a coffee, have a laugh with people, sing some songs and worship God, and listen to a great speaker like me, and all the rest of it. But we come and we become the house of God. It almost implies that wherever you are, when somebody meets you, 
you represent like an ambassador to this house of God. But I want to ask you a question this morning. If you'd come Friday evening, those chairs would have been like that. But when you came in this morning, somebody had come in and laid them out. Have you ever thought why? Now, you go, well, obvious, Barry, if there's no chairs out, what am I going to sit on? Do you, know, do you just want to pat the chairs? They're quite nice, they're quite soft. They cost us about £9,000 about six years ago. Different. If you're not aware, there's 180 chairs, 60 of one colour, 60 of another, I think 40 of another, something like that, to give that, that a that random effect. But have you thought what it means when you said, this is my church? And I want to lead you a story. Okay, here we are today. And I want to go back. This story starts about three and a half thousand years ago. To why you're sitting here. To why that person laid out the chairs. Because it started here. And if you come with me to Numbers in the Old Testament, one of the early books, I know a lot of people don't read the Old Testament. Let me set the scene. The Jews had been in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God had set them free, and with Moses was leading them out into the wilderness to go to the promised land. And this was just a ragtag lot of people, you know, two and a half million of them perhaps, you know, which in their family groups. The tribes were named after the children essentially of Jacob, you know, Levi, Benjamin, Judah, and the rest of it. And so you knew your family lineage. They were very hot of the Jews of knowing how I, who I was born through. Now, I've been looking at my genealogy of the last couple, well, no, fair enough. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law did it all for both sides. And during COVID, just at the end of COVID, uh, in June, July 2022, 20, I texted my barber, my head, I said, I said, Jamie, are you cutting hair? Barry Wales. He rang me up. He said, I am. Are you a Wales? I said, yes. Back in the 1850s, we had a Wales in my family. I said, are you from Hull? Yes, we are from Hull. And we are related. So I said, do I get family discount? He said, no. <laughs> but families are important. And this is, what, now this, is, this is God speaking to Aaron. He was of the Levi family. And he was sort of the head of the family at the time. I myself, God says, have selected your fellow Levites. I've selected your family lineage from among the Israelites as a gift to you. Dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Wow. Here's God saying to Aaron, I want you and your family members, which could have been hundreds, thousands and thousands, to be in charge of the temple. Some of you to actually get involved in the, the very holy parts, the altar, the Holy of Holies, and the rest to be involved in looking after it. He laid this out. Unfortunately, the Jews got into the Promised Land, didn't do what God intended. God said, if you don't obey me, I'm going to chuck you out of the land. And he does. And eventually, the people come back with Daniel, or through Daniel. And Ezra here is the prophet, the high priest at the time, and he writes this. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, they'd come back, these priests, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and Joshua, son of Josedach, and the rest of the people, 
the priests and the Levites, on all who returned from captivity, began to work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. And this idea that the Levites were specially selected out of all the 12 tribes, as one tribe, to serve God. Jump with me to near the end of the Bible in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. It's the same sort of promise that God said to the children of Israel, you are my people. And during that time when they weren't quite in touch with God, they stuck in the wilderness for 40 years, God gave them laws and rules to make them... He wrote a constitution. He gave things to what they do about stealing and all the rest of it, how they could be a structured nation. He turned a ragmuffing bunch of people into a nation that captures the imagination of the world. If you watched the news yesterday, my heart just went to pieces seeing what was happening. We know Israel is the centre of the world politics. And as I was watching television, my wife Louise, she said, look at this, there are three big earthquakes around the world. And we both went, yes, in those end times, wars, Israel under attack, rumours of earthquakes and such. You think, well, are we getting that way? But to be honest, it's irrelevant to us into what this scripture is saying because we are told to be a priesthood today. We are told to serve God today. God, as he made Israel into a nation, he's made you and me, when you gave your life to Christ, to be a holy nation. God's special possession that you might declare his praises. A chosen people, a royal priesthood. Bill Johnson, the leader of a church in the state, said this, Our assignment has never been about what we can do for God, but what God can do through us. We often say, it's not about what, we can, what God can do for us, it's what we can do for God. This says what God can do through us. And it's fascinating when you prepare a talk, I was saying to John this morning, you have, to, you have to study. You get lots of stuff together. And I've read this next verse many, many times. But in terms of my preparation, it had a new meaning. This is Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. To him, Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And even in the, the book that's supposed to represent the end times, it talks about you and I are that special priest to serve in the kingdom of God and the house of God. That Bill Johnson said this, Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God 
is my life source. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. And that just struck me. The fact is that I am royal. I've been adopted into the kingdom of God. I'm his adopted son, but I'm also a priest. You're wondering now why I've put a number up. And this comes back to what I said at the very beginning. How did that chair get to where it was? Over a month, I worked out 32 different people are responsible for you sitting here this morning. Uh, somebody made sure the website advertised it. Another person sent a MailChimp. Somebody came in on Friday and cleaned the whole church. A really nice man came on Saturday and laid the chairs out. Or perhaps Friday. Oh, um, different times. You've got the elders doing the speaking and preparing. The deacons. The worship team. There's about eight or nine people in the worship team I came. The coffees. If you get here early, you can grab a lovely cup of coffee. Fresh coffee or fresh tea. There's welcome at the door. If you come early enough, you'll see people walking with crates or big pillows this morning because they were doing the kids' groups. And they've come prepared during the week, putting these things together. Uh, the PA media team, you know, putting the th turning the things on, the lights and the, all the rest of it. There's a locking rotor. I, ca I counted 54 different jobs on a Sunday morning. This morning, I just missed John. He'd already unlocked the church. I'm in the worship band. I was supposed to be on the door, but I got out of that. I've got to speak. And I've got to go home to a poorly wife. But the idea that it takes so many people who are willing to serve you. And I want to say thank you to you. Because I know full well, if I came into church and the floors were dirty and those chairs out, you wouldn't want to listen to me as a speaker, would you? You'd be uptight and upset and annoyed. If John played duff notes every other one, he'd say, well, I'm paying the, playing the right notes, just not in the right order. But you wouldn't like it. It doesn't prepare for, for me to speak. But all these bits go in place to make you feel welcome. When you grab a coffee, somebody says, hello, how are you keeping going? How are you going? A friendly voice wants to give you a hug. But the right song's in the right place and things happen. So you can sit and hear and worship God. This church was established, I'm going to tell you a bit of history now, in the 50s. In 1953 and 52, a man called Fred McMinn did tent missions in the Glebelands around and he converted a whole bunch of people. Uh, and there was enough to form a church. And in 1953, somebody offered him £400 to build a church in this town. Now, £400 sounds nothing. £400 in 1953 was a lot of money. A lot of money. And there was enough people. And on the 16th of May, 1954, Harefield Church was established. No building, but they had their first communion. And the £400, and with some money from a legacy, established that we could buy the land and start to build. And in October 1955, they started building this church. When I say they, a third of the work was done by a contractor from a man called Sir John Lang, an incredible Christian. He's brought his team in. Two-thirds of the work were done by the people of the church. They started in October 55, and as you know, that was a wet winter. So it delayed the work, and on the 
Got to get the date here. In 19, 13th of April 1957, the church was open for business. They were still painting in the morning before the actual service. I've got the actual register. And it cost about £10,000 to buy the land and do the work. They saved mega thousands. Now that doesn't sound a lot of money, does it? £10,000. That's about £100 each of us for 100 members. Not too bad. In the 1990s, we extended the church. We put, we put this new, made it, that was the highest part. We put a new ceiling, the steel's in there, a new foyer, redid the classrooms, corridors. It cost us £70,000 to do that work. £70,000, of which we had 30000 in the bank. So we borrowed 40000 and paid it back in the five years. And I remember, this is my proud moment, because we're all involved. David Roberts, who was the architect and the elder of the church, the founding elders, he designed the church. He had us all doing jobs. He said, we did this over six months in the evenings. He said, I want to, I want to build this church. Everybody can do something. My 11-year-old child, boy, broke up rocks to, make, to build the, the, the grounding that you're standing on to form a base. But I was assigned with digging the hole for that. 12 inches square, one metre down. Very hard. It required skill, strength. <laughs> don't, don't laugh. I'm, su I'm supporting the whole of that structure. Now, as you came in the foyer, it's made of wood, isn't it? Did you notice that? We had no carpenters. All we employed was a bricky to do the bit of bricking around here, a bit around there. The rest was done by people within the church. When the time we had no windows in the church, I think we just got some glass in the windows, it was concrete floor, no plaster. We had two weddings in the church. One person had just gone to Marks and Spencer's in the morning to buy some brand new curtains for her home and she brought them straight here and put them up across the doorway to give a sort of entrance in. I brought my vacuum cleaner from home and I hoovered up all the dust. To annoyance my wife, it broke the vacuum cleaner. And a guy called Tony, it was the father of one of our women to be linked to the church, he became like the, um, the, the, the guy who told us what to do and how to build the place. And I was the quartermaster. I had to go and buy the stuff and get it all in. And Tony spoke to a guy at the college who was teaching young men and women how to be carpenters. He said, I'll do this. I'll build the front. And he built the front of the, the whole thing, all the woodwork you see out there now. And we asked him, why are you doing this? He said, I came to this church when I was a boy. And he was in John and my group. I think his name was Brian. And he organised that. And he built the whole thing. David said to him one day, the, the doors aren't big enough. We need hired. You won't get a coughing through those doors. So they raised it up. Not long afterwards, David died and was the first coffin to go into the building, the architect and founding elder. And it struck me, as I'd been... Cause Next year, well, John was 70 years old last Saturday. He looks well on it, and I mean that seriously. Next July, I'm 70. Okay, comment on the postcard afterwards. <laughs> on the 16th of May next year, this church is 70 years old. Wow. John's been here 
62 years? You were eight, weren't you? I've been here 61 years. Minor point. And the church has expanded over the years. And I suppose, yeah, perhaps I've expanded a bit as well. And of course, this church can do another 70 years. We can keep decorating it, filling the cracks and such like, because I don't know if you'll realise, this part of the building is built on two metre foundations, the wall. That part, there are no foundations at all. It's just a raft, so that's why you get this splitting. But we can fill the holes, we can keep painting it, we can keep doing the maintenance, perhaps extend it. There's only so much painting you can do with me and repainting me. You can't fill all the cracks. I won't last another 70 years. But it's been interesting for me, looking, because we're thinking about 70 now for next year, there might even be our theme 70, what it means, so we can celebrate God's provision. Because if we had to build a brand new church, buy a land and buy it would cost you at least a minimum of a hundred, a million pounds to build a church like this. Minimum. With a hundred thousand, with a, with a hundred people, I would want as treasurer ten thousand pounds from each of you. Ten thousand pounds. If you're married, it's going to cost you twenty grand. Your reaction, like you've just, is saying, "You are joking, sunshine." But that's what God did with back in the fifties. That £10,000 was a lot of money. When I started work in 72, I was just on £1,000 a year. You have the benefit of what those men and women did. The vision that Fred McMinn had to convert as an incredible evangelist um, to plant a church. He, he was one of those that can convert people on the spot. And the question comes in, what does being a royal priesthood in this church mean to you? I've gone back this last week, because Louis said to me yesterday, why are you so quiet and reflective this week? I said, I've been going back the memories, I've been pulling out pictures and findings when I was at 18 and made an assistant to a youth leader, then 19, a full leader of a group of young people, 9 to 12, and all the things we did, Louise and I, and John, all the rest of us and the church, and it brought back memories. Good memories and sad memories. Those who I knew found the Lord and yet disappeared off. And I was saying to John, you know, we were just brought up to serve. A Sunday morn, a Sunday for me was this for Louise and I back in just 30 years ago. 35 years ago. 8.30 to 9 o'clock was my elders and deacons prayer, uh, prayer meeting. I was a deacon in the early 20s as well. 9 o'clock to 9.45, I set up my boys' group in the back room because all the youth work was outside the morning service. 9.45 to 10.45 was my boys' group. 11 to 11.45 was the morning service. 11.45 to 1 o'clock was the communion service. And we went home for dinner. Louise came back out at half past 2 to half past 4 to do her girls' group, 9 to 12. Then we, she came home and at half past 6 we came out to the evening service till 8 o'clock. And then we did you fellowship from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Teenagers. 50 teenagers. We had over 100 people in the youth work. In the 50s, it was 250 kids in our Sunday school. They ran coaches. On a Monday night, I did a club night for my boys' group. On a Wednesday, my wife did a club night for her group. On Friday, once a month, we did a club night for the teenagers. 
and I had to go to a Bible study group. I would not recommend that lifestyle for anybody. But we were just told, expected, we had to serve. Still, John and I get here at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's habit, isn't it, John? That's what we've always done, and we poodle around. We will not be around forever. 32 people. I'm, that's, I mean, this is just for Sundays. Rick Warren said this, faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you'll never retire from serving God. That really annoys me, that. Because <laughs> I would like to honestly retire. But I just feel that boot size 65 from God saying, no. You can only retire when you start. You can only retire from something when you're doing it. And I just want to tell you this more challenge you. I mean, that picture there, I should have said, that's Louise and me. I know I say Louise has never changed for me. That's back in 2006. We took 20, 25 of us to spring harvest in France. We, were, we took a couple of missionaries we still support, they shared with us. And yeah, I haven't changed a bit. Well, but I've got memories of what God has done. But I know in my heart, God will never let me retire. But it's not a threat. It's a joy to serve. And you've said this morning, this is my church. This is my church. And I do thank you for all the financial gifts you give. That pays for the things we have to do. I'd love to have more money in the, in the kitty because we could do more, but we are where we are. But thank you that you give out of your love and graciousness as being part of this church. You've said out loud, this is my church. What does that mean in practice? You consider yourself a royal priest. Are you prepared to serve? Are you prepared to build? Are you prepared to get your hands dirty? John North Ortberg said this, If you can't do great things, Mother Teresa used to say, do little things with great love. If you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. If you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway. Love grows when people serve. I'll say that again. If you can't do great things, Mother Teresa used to say, do little things with great love. If you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. If you can't do them with a little love, with a little love, do them anyway. Love grows when people serve. And my challenge for this whole series coming up is, when you say you're part of a church, what does that mean? Is it just about giving money? And I do thank you genuinely for that. But that you can serve in little ways. There are things you can do. Because you each have the presence of God in you. If you read the gifts in, in 1 Corinthians, the long list says, before it gets to the list of tongues, the rest of it, it says, the Spirit of God is shown in each person for the good of all. The Spirit manifests himself in you for the good of all. If God says that, then it must be true. If God says, you are a royal priesthood, then it must be true. If Jesus says, 
you are a priest, then it must be true. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that you are a royal priesthood? My church is what I want it to be. You are a living stone. I happen to be an elder. I'm a member first. I don't want to be treated differently. I'm just a member of the church who happens to have responsibilities under God. But I look back over my life and I've seen God do incredible things. I really have seen miracles that have blown me away. I remember a woman ringing me up one day and said, Barry, can I meet you at the church at four o'clock? So she came in. in the, we sat in, in the alcove over there before it was rebuilt. I said, it was wrong. She said, look at my feet. And she had a left slipper on her right foot and a right slipper on her left foot. She said, my feet go the wrong way. I said, what do you want me to do? Heal them, please. So I prayed, simple prayer. She put the shoes on the right foot and walked out. Never raised it again. And I said, Lord, that was weird and wacky. But she was blessed because I was prepared to serve. I'm not boasting of myself. But when you serve in whatever small way or big way, there is a blessing from God. There's a sense, I am serving my Lord. I am serving my Master. And I know when I start that, I'll never retire because God has put it in my heart to be that one. One of we can just close our eyes before I hand back to John. Lord, this is my church for nearly 70 years, or 60 years, over. And Lord, you've been so faithful. We've had our issues, ups and downs, but I thank you, Lord, for those men and women back in the 50s who had that vision, gave up things to actually build this church. When we did the extension here in the 90s, David, the, the former, the founding elder and architect, said to us, you may need to sell your houses and buy smaller ones to release money so we can extend the church. That was a big gulp of, of air we took in when he told us that. We raised the money. You gave the possibilities. You gave us the skills that if we'd had to, if we'd had to get contractors in, it would cost perhaps double that, triple that. You, Lord, have been faithful. I pray, Lord, we can be faithful to you. When Phil said he's going to read Haggai chapter 2, there is verses in there that are foundational in this church. I will make you greater than the former times. And Lord, you've done that. When I look back, Father, I'm in awe of the men and women who as a 10-year-old father, had patience with me, who kept me when my parents didn't go to church at all. I look back all those who found Christ here, Father, the hundreds, perhaps even thousands. And Lord, my duty is to serve you as a priest. I can't deny it, Lord, there are times, yeah, not as easy as it always is. I had no choice because of what you did for me. You're my Lord and my Saviour, and I give you praise. And Lord, for the next 70 years, unless you come, Lord, continue your work. Bring people to you through this building and the living stones of each of us, Father. Our family, our friends. Increase us numbers, not that we can boast of us, but boast of you. 
of your goodness, of your kindness, your compassion, your gentleness, your generosity, your patience. Never more are you needed in this country and in this world, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we are ready to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.